Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome, everyone. I am Miriam Knight, and I am delighted to welcome our guest today, William Arnst. Will started his professional career as a research laser physicist working on Star Wars high-energy lasers. He then moved on to software writing Autosys, an automated job control system currently in use by most Fortune 500 companies. He sold that company, retired, but then decided to make a film. He was the creator, producer, and director of What the Bleep Do We Know? It, as you might recall, is an exploration of spirituality, quantum physics, neurology, and outrageous possibilities. The film and the book were into 20 languages, and they became an international hit. Today we're talking about his new book that he wrote with his wife, who is a visionary artist and a modern-day mystic, Deirdre Haid. And I am so thrilled to have him on the show because I think he has another game-changing product. Welcome, Will. Well, thank you, Miriam. Glad to be here. Will, do you, I don't know if you recall, but I was the first person to actually do a review of What the Bleep. I was at the premiere at the Baghdad Theater in Portland, and I reviewed it from New Connection, my, my then magazine. Wow. Well, you know, your name was familiar, and I was like, why is it so familiar? The first reviewer, wow, at the infamous Baghdad. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> well, yeah. that was a game-changing film. It really was a watershed in, in um, spiritual awakening, I would say. And you are showing your old flair with this not-so-little book of surprises. I'm sorry Deirdre couldn't be with us today, but tell me what you two had in mind with this book. Well, <clears throat> I'm starting to wonder how much it was in my mind or her mind and how much it was in the mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because what happened was Deirdre, um, I mean, she's been... She's been having mystical visions since she was three years old, and they've never let up. So she's a, a mystic, and she's been writing poetry. She's working on a, a novel, which she's been working on for a number of years, and she keeps getting taken down rabbit holes on it and getting a little frustrated. And a, a, a student of hers called me up and said, you know, I think you could just put together a book of her quotes and her poems fairly quickly, at least get something out there. So I thought, well, uh, well, that's not a bad idea. Let me think about it. And I started thinking about it. And within a day, I came up with this concept, calling it the Little Book of Surprises. And the reason um, I came up with surprises was that, um, you know, I know from my research in neurology that when there's a surprise, basically a lot of things happen biochemically, emotionally, and mentally 
that opened a doorway to transformation. And it's a great way to do it. So I thought, well, let's do surprises. And part of it was because in Deirdre's um, writing, her, her, the way that she puts things is often surprising. She languages it a bit differently. And so the quotes come across as surprising. And some of them are pretty sassy. They're like in-your-face sassy. <laughs> yes. um, and that's really, as you know from what the bleep, um, all the sassy humor in that film is basically comes from me. Um, I like to make people laugh and entertain people, so I thought surprises. Yeah, let's call it surprises. And and it basically, from when I started thinking about it till the book being completely done was three months to do the, the whole thing. It just it just came together so quickly. Um, I mean, it helped that I had volumes of Deirdre's teachings to pull from, and. Uh-huh. Um, then it was like, well, let's put some pictures with the quotes. That seems kind of the obvious thing to do. Well, she has someone, uh, a friend and someone she's worked with for years, Andre Balog, who, aside being a international concert violinist, is also an award-winning photographer. And he had about 3,000 of his photos laying around on his websites. And Andre is such an artist that he does great work and has no idea what to do with it. <laughs> typical artist. Mm-hmm. So there I was with 10 volumes of teaching and 3,000 photographs, um, and Deirdre uh, had someone, a student, Jill Hawkins, who is a graphic artist, and I call up Jill. I said, Jill, you want to put together a book? She goes, sure. And so all the pieces were there, and it just, it just came together. And so when you ask, you know, what did we have in mind when we did this, in the beginning it was just... Um, let's get those quotes, let's get the pictures out there, make it something that people enjoy. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a fun book. And it really started morphing, and I was pulling these quotes out, and in the end, it ended up doing something beyond what we had originally thought. So that was, <laughs> the surprise was on us. It's interesting when three artists like the three of you come together, each one contributing a facet of it. So Deirdre contributed the the words. Uh, You contributed the selection, the creation, the, the, the greater vision and how to put it together. And then Andre, um, he himself is a mystic in his photographs, and he, he's got the most visionary uh, creations as well as spectacular photographs. And I was surprised when I visited his website to find that some of them are on shower curtains and, and, and all <laughs> kinds of things. Absolutely stunning. I mean, I, I can imagine somebody going into a, a, a guest shower <laughs> a bathroom and seeing that on a shower curtain. But, but really, um, the, the interplay between the two of you, how was it to work together? Um, it, it's just the sum is just so much more than the, the compound parts. Well, how it was to work together, I mean, part of that is because of my uh, experiences of filmmaking, filmmaking is always a collaborative process. Uh-huh. Um, and certainly in What the Bleep, working with my fellow filmmakers, Mark and Betsy, um, you just learn the, the creative process. And, 
you know, kind of the joke is that for this book, if this was a film, Deirdre would be the screenwriter, I would be the uh, the director, and Andre would be the cinematographer. Those are the roles typically in that, and that's really the roles that it were this. Now, as far as working together, my deal with Deirdre was she wasn't allowed to make any comments until the book was done. <laughs> and the reason, yeah, the reason I did that is Deirdre is such a perfectionist that, and that's why she's, you know, writing and writing these novels. Um, she's such a perfectionist that uh, my take was she gets tripped up in, in the perfection of everything. Mm-hmm. So my thing was, look, I don't want to deal with any of that until the book is more or less done, and then you know, look at it. So. So we did that, and uh, she, the joke is now that she's glad we did that because all the quotes that I picked, or most of them, they're very edgy, they're sassy, some are funny, and a lot of them are very profound too. But the joke is she would have made all the, all, it would have been you are the light of, of God and wonderful angels will come visit you and, you know, that sort of stuff, uh-huh. and every picture in the the book would be pink with roses around the edge. <laughs> so so the fact that I'm there, you know, it's a, did it a little different. And, and now that it's all done, she's very happy about that. So what, what happened was I, I put the book together, and, um, and you know, there was help. There was, uh, Andre would sometimes suggest photos for quotes. Jill would, would suggest them. Uh, I didn't let Deirdre, every once in a while, Deirdre would see one, and she'd say, no, 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 we can't use that, that picture. Uh, I'd say, well, it's just temporary. And of course, I knew I'd never change it. <laughs> um, and then finally, when we had it more or less done, then it's like, okay, honey, here we go. And, and then she was like, whoa, this is a surprise. I said, well, at least we're delivering on the promise. And... Um, and then she got more involved, uh, and there would be sometimes there would be a quote that I picked, and she'd say, you know, yeah, that's it, but that was really part of a bigger teaching, and I need to add a line to, to. So she would do things like that, and then I ordered it, and then she went in and she reordered it, the, the, the sequencing, and mm-hmm. then I went back and reordered her reordering, <laughs> and then the two of us went together and... and Analyzed it. Um, but one thing that I did was to give the book. I didn't want it just to be a series of one-offs. You know, it's like, okay, here's a here's a an interesting quote with a picture. Here's an interesting quote with a picture. I want to have a through line. So there was a story, and so she had written this poem called "In the Honey Jars," which I think she wrote it two or three years ago. Um, and it had always been my favorite. It's a long poem, and I just always found it beautiful. It's very trippy. It's otherworldly, and yet it's also very uh, centered and earthy. And I just had the idea right away, that's going to be the backbone of the, the book. And we'll scatter the poem in, in the honey jars throughout the whole book. So on the one hand, you can read it like just open a page and read a uh, quote and think about it. Or you can also just sit down and read it sort of cover to cover, in which case it, it feels actually like a movie in that there's a, there's a through line, you go into sections, and people who do that say, yeah, it takes about an hour and a half. It's like, it's like a, a movie that I get to play on my own mind. So that's, 
That's a long answer to how we how we all work together. Well, that answer took us to our first break. Uh, we are speaking with Will Arnst about the not-so-little book of surprises. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. You said that it would take about an hour and a half to read through the book, but I beg to differ because I could not help but stop every few pages and just contemplate the message and try and understand in my heart what Deirdre was saying. What do you feel is kind of her core message? Oh, my. Um, I would, oh, boy. Um, I would say there's three or four core messages in the in the not so little book, um, and the one message that starts right off with the second page or third page in the book is, um, "You are a mystic. You were born a mystic. You will, if you're here, you are a mystic. You were born a mystic, and you will die a mystic." And there's no way you're going to get out of it. So a whole theme through the book is one of people being mystics. And what she's experienced in her life, because, like I said, she came into the world that way, that for a mystic in this world, it's kind of a rough going. And um, mystics have been told over the years that they're crazy, that if you're seeing things, you're, you're somewhat psychotic. Uh, and, and all those type of things, and so part of it is is allowing people to embrace that they're mystics, that they're visionaries, that they're seers, and then based on that, once you embrace that concept, okay, as a mystic, what does that mean in your life? How do you live your life? What do you do? What do you avoid? What do you bring towards yourself? So there's a whole theme through the book of um, what it is to be a mystic. And what are your duties and responsibilities as a mystic, and that sort of thing. So that's the first one that comes to mind. Let's just stop there for a moment, because I think that's a very um, important and challenging topic. Because even if people don't consider themselves mystics, many people have had mystical experiences. And... I believe that, um, as you say, that we all have the potential to open to our mystical side, to open to a mystical connection. But we are uh, kind of shamed or ridiculed into closing that down, that aspect of ourselves. So um, having these kind of cheeky little invitations or reminders I think is so delightful. You did the same thing with What the Bleep. This is just a, a two-dimensional uh, or, or mono-dimensional version of it. It isn't really because it, it elicits many different dimensions as you read it. Well, that is, um, what you say is that's uh, a lot of why all of that is there. And, you know, and you say, well, you're not mystics, but you've had mystical experience. I mean, I might even stretch that and say, well, if you've had a mystical experience, you're, you're a mystic. 
You've, you've had that. The doorways have opened for you. It's gone there. You've done it. And the reason you don't think more of yourself as a mystic is because of all the baggage and all the societal pressures that are, um, that are put on that. Now, yeah. the good news is, as far as I'm concerned, that things are a lot different now than 12 years ago when what the bleep came out. When bleep came out, if you told people you were meditating and doing that sort of stuff and were investigating your past lives, they would look at you like, you know, you were about ready to go drink some Kool-Aid somewhere. Um, but nowadays, it's really much more. I mean, you drive down the street and every strip mall has a yoga studio. Ten years ago, you said you did yoga. People kind of looked at you a bit askance. So um, I think that what we're seeing in society is is an embracing uh, of the mystical. And um, that was something very nice you said early in the in the introduction when you said you thought that this book was a game changer also. Um, that's what we're hoping it is. And one of the game-changing things is embracing the mystical and saying there's a quote about, you know, people used to always say it was woo-woo, but it's not woo-woo. It's just another way of accessing information and knowledge about the universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember reading a book by Story Waters called Your God, Get Over It. I thought that was the most wonderful title for a book. Um, and what you're saying is you're a mystic. Get over it and embrace it. Um, tell, let's go back to the, the honey jars. Um, I was wondering why the motif of the honey jars. Um, so every time the honey jars come back, that's part of the same poem? It's all the same poem. It's a long poem. And um, Deirdre... Uh, was given the poem by the prophet Isaiah. Now, I'm going to pause for a second here. Deirdre has been talking, conversing with, with these beings, a whole raft of being angels, masters, that just is, that's been her life. So about, I guess, two years ago, she just was in an altered state, and this, this poem um, from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, just came to her. And so when these things happen, she, she, on the one hand, she's hearing it, but it's not exactly just channeling because um, she's also interpreting it and using her languaging and, and uh, poetry skills to, to bring it in. But it was Isaiah um, came to her, and, and it's this story about the bees. And it's, Isaiah is off in the other dimensions, and he's been tripping around through the universe, and the bees come to him way out in Andromeda and say, can you please come help us? Because as we know, the bees are really in trouble right now on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Pesticides are killing them and all this other stuff. And people don't realize if the bees go away, guess what? Our food supply goes away because of all the pollination. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the bees come there, and then it's this whole thing about Isaiah returning to the planet Earth and doing a, a, a bringing prophecy back to the planet Earth. And that's really what the poem is about. And it's using the um, symbology of the, the honey because in, for instance, ancient Egyptian times, honey was considered enlightenment. It was that golden color. It was the sweetness of life um, that, that they was associated 
with enlightenment. So it's really also a metaphor for bringing the light and anchoring the light back into the planet, and it's happening through prophecy. And anchoring the sweetness of life back into the planet. And anchoring the sweetness of life, because, you know, as we all know, it can get pretty bitter. But um, this doesn't necessarily, it's not supposed to be like that, and it doesn't have to be like that. So, um, I mean, there was even a quote in the book about tasting the sweetness, how we need to taste the sweetness. So um, that that's why the honey jars. It's, it's my favorite part me of the because book. Because as, as you were speaking of the, the prophet Isaiah, I'm reminded that there was some somewhere in the Bible um, uh, a parable or a or a riddle relating to uh, the carcass of a dead animal that had honey inside did Deirdre ever mention that in connection with the the poems I'm going to have to go find that it's it's uh, bugging me okay it's being me (laughs) it's being you good I was going to say the same thing (laughs) you it's being you Uh, and there's this. Did you notice um, uh, in in the book the Deirdre was like, okay, we need pictures of the bees. We need pictures of the bees in the in the um, uh, in the book. And Andre uh, was up here shooting the the honey jars, and he uh, here's a, sort of an example of working together. And he was, um, I'm not going to go shoot honey bees. I don't like I don't like bees. They they sting me. I don't like bees. I don't like bees. I'm not going to shoot them. I'm not going to shoot them. So he's going on and on about this. And it, and Deirdre, on the other hand, is going, take Andre, take him outside, go go up to the lavender bush and just have him take it. So uh, so finally, I got tired of all this, and I'm like, come on, Andre, Andre, let's go. Well, I don't know. Come on, let's just go. And so I use my you know directorial thing, and <laughs> we march him out there. And he takes those pictures in the honeybee and the, the, the book, so people know, it's a 9 by 11, it's a coffee table size book. And there's this one picture of the bee where the bee's like 8 inches tall. He, you know, yes. Andre being a, such a perfectionist, he t- puts on his macro lenses and does all his filters and all this, his great stuff, and takes these pictures of the bee. <laughs> and finally he's like, whoa, they, they, they came out better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so that was working with artists. There you go. There you go. Uh, there they you they go. really are stunning photographs. On now, um, I don't have the book with me, but I scribbled some notes. Um, it it really is a big little book of surprises. Um, so I didn't take it with me. Uh, but you had an interesting um, bit where you write or she writes, God actually wrote a map, a code, so that you could enter into God's joy, happiness, and bliss whenever you want to. What does this actually mean? I I had to contemplate a lot of these quotes and trying to figure out the meaning behind the poetry. Well, um, what that means is God, God wrote a map and saying a map, I mean, that's just basically there are teaching, there are ways, there are disciplines, there are ways of awareness, there are techniques in order to get back to God. That's the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit of it, I, I put that, uh, I pulled that quote because first off, I liked it. Um, 
And again, this is the languaging. People, you, you, people just kind of assume, okay, yeah, there's this practice. You can meditate. You can, you know, we can do all this stuff. But referring to it as a map, saying, no, this is just the map on on how you get back. I thought that was a great way of of doing it. And I put it towards the beginning of the book because I'm basically saying, guess what? You got the map in your hands, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, not that this is the definitive map, there are many maps, but this is another map. This book is another map to get you back there, and there are um, awarenesses and techniques in in the book itself that is the map. So enjoy the trip back. Uh, further on in the book, you talk about the place of ancient texts in modern life. Um, and continuing with the analogy of the map. And you're suggesting that we need to read these ancient texts, but in a new way. Um, Tell us about, oh, after the break, you can tell us. Oh, after the break. (laughs) What you meant. So we're speaking, we'll be back with Will Arnst speaking about the big little book of surprises or the not so little big book of surprises. There we go. (laughs) We'll be right back. Um, Before we go any further, Will, is there a website for the book or a website you direct people to? Yes, bookofsurprises.com. Very good. That was easy. Easy peasy. Uh So, yes, we've got this um, uh, reference to ancient texts. And I kind of think of them, you know, they, they are from every different tradition. I kind of think of them as training wheels for life. And at some stage, we're ready to get rid of the training wheels and really take off. So, but we have used them to get us to the point where we have expertise in life and can, um, can master our journey forward. So um, that's the way I interpreted it. How do you interpret it? Well, the way that I interpret it is that the, the, the ancient texts, they... they gave techniques and ways for people to find the the map back to God. Mm-hmm. But things are a little different now. I mean, the uh, you know, back when Isaiah was doing his prophecy, uh, people weren't working 18 hours a day and having uh, plugged into the Internet for 16 of those hours. And so that changes things. So one must, you know... When you see these techniques, they were designed for when they were. There's, of course, an eternalness to them. It's like gravity is always gravity. But still, um, you have to look at that with the lifestyle that we're, we're living now and, and the way we're, we're living. Um, but I actually have an even better example of that, since you asked. Um, in the center of the book, there's a quote, and it's the only quote that doesn't have a picture with it. And the quote goes like this, the darkness serves the light if you are conscious. The darkness is just the darkness if you are unconscious. Now, that's something that Deirdre said. It took her five years to work to to boil that down to that quote because she was getting uh, glimpses of it here and there. Finally took her. So 
Last week, uh, a man, Dawa Phillips, who is a Buddhist teacher here in in Santa Barbara, was over for dinner. And he was looking at the, he was paging through the book, and he stops and looks at that and just he goes to Deirdre, where did you get this? Deirdre says, well, it took me a number of years. I had to clarify, why do you ask? He goes, let me tell you one of the most uh, powerful and frequently quoted sayings of the Buddha. The samsara serves the dharma if you are conscious. The samsara is just the samsara if you are unconscious. Oh, my. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all went, holy Moses. Um, so there is an example. Of when you, you go up to someone on the street and you say, hey, the uh, samsara serves the dharma if you are conscious, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> But if you say the darkness serves the light, if you are conscious, so that's just a very uh, overt example of translating the ancient texts in a in a new way. Well, actually, I was very taken with that quote, and I had scribbled it down uh, to bring up next, but you beat me to it because yeah. I thought it was particularly appropriate um, at this time in our national history because there is so much angst on all sides about the elections and about the future of the company, even about the country, even about the future of the world. And uh, I think it really is important that we focus on the fact that the darkness does serve the light if you are conscious. So it behooves all of us to, to be aware of the needs of the um, greater society, uh, not just our own entrenched needs, but try and understand things from other people's perspective. And that will form the basis upon which we can come together, because otherwise it's just darkness. So I, I think this was such a profound quote. It, it really, really spoke to my heart. Yeah, and it really does mine, and it's so weird <clears throat> that when you just kind of grab the book and open to it, nine times out of ten it opens to that page. I find that very strange. But the um, let me say something about that quote, the darkness serves the light if you are conscious in reference to the election. Mm-hmm. And um, this is something that Deirdre has been, been saying. Um, just so you know where she and I are coming from, um, we were voting, we voted for Hillary and were offended by so much of what uh, our president elect did, but he's now the president elect. And so what she's been saying is, well, the darkness serves the light. I mean, we don't know in the grand picture all. So what do we do now? Going to hate and blame and sort of saying and revisiting why the movement that he created is wrong and everything. Instead of doing that, she says, what I'm going to do, I'm just praying for the light. Send the light to our president-elect. Let the light go there and, 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 and wake up his higher self. And that's really, you know, all we can do. Um, is to just to you know don't don't send the bad vibes. It's just the, just the best light, the highest vibration, and you know maybe we, we don't know the big picture. Maybe this was the the perfect thing to happen. Um, another thing about that quote: the darkness serves the light if you are conscious. 
one of the things is that this election has brought out is um, a certain amount of darkness. You know, there was all the stuff about uh, different races. Uh, there was the sexual stuff. There was all the stuff. But see, all that stuff was, was there. It was in the human unconscious. But now mm-hmm. it's it's been on the news. It's been brought to the consciousness. And people are like, oh, oh, this is a, you know, so many Americans think this way. Oh, we didn't know that. So we didn't know it, and now we do. So that is bringing that in effect, brings that darkness to the light. And now that it's in the conscious realm, that people are talking about it, now we can deal with it instead of having it smolder around in the unconscious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, it... And the other thing is that it's well known that what you focus on um, increases. Energy flows where thought goes. And uh, it's not only for the president-elect that we need to focus our highest um, uh, light, but also on um, all of us. Many people are feeling uh, despair, uh, a trepidation. Um, People, uh, some people we've already seen in the news are feeling enfranchised to go and act out their worst impulses. And even those we have to cover with light because um, until we all come together in a positive way, uh, we're just going to be increasing polarization. So uh, here, here for consciousness and and light. Yep. Okay. Well, let's talk about another paradox that you mentioned in the book. You say uh, you are separate from every other mind. You are at the same time one with every other mind and every other thing in the universe. I love the this feeling that we're not just citizens of planet Earth, but citizens of something much, much greater and more eternal. How did you interpret it? Or give us a little explanation. Well, uh, <laughs> on that one, I uh, I uh, decided not to interpret it. Uh-huh. To me, uh, you know, part of uh, of being a mystic, part of being in the spirituality, is the paradox. I mean, it's a paradox. You say, on the one hand we're one, and on the one hand we're separate. Well, when you think about it, it's like, well, wait a minute, you can't have both. How can you be one with everything and then be separate at the same time? Because if you're blah, 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 blah. And the mind mm-hmm. at that point just doesn't, doesn't know what to do. And so to me, um, and this I, I hear a lot from Deirdre, is you know, being a mystic, you're living in the world of paradox. Because there, there's some things that just don't make sense, and yet you know it's true. And I think that... One of the things we do in our rational mind, and we're taught, especially in the West, that to be in the rational mind is you're always trying to figure things out, and let's logically do this, and let's be scientific about it. If A means B and B means C, that means A means C. Um, That's kind of built into how we think. But in the mystical world, that's not true. A may be B and B may mean C, but that may mean that elephants are lighter than mouses. I mean, there's just these things that just don't make sense. And it's neat to hang with the the paradox because it's like, you know, driving with the brakes on is kind of 
different. But, you know, I just, I don't interpret that. I just say, well, can I expand my mind to get to the point where both are true at the same time? Mm-hmm. Well, how did you uh, cover the space between being a laser physicist and being yourself a modern-day mystic? Well, that's a good question, because uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a surprise to myself, too. I mean, I was just, I mean, the, the math and the physics, um, I was always very good at. I really enjoyed it. My mind tends to work that way. And then when I decided to make What the Bleep, um, I had done some movie making earlier, but certainly nothing professional, nothing at that scale, just sort of messing around and playing around when I was in high school and college. So um, kind of the my joke to myself was it just so happened I was able to do it, not for any particular reason that I know of. Um, and I guess it's just it's just the old follow your bliss thing that um, I was inspired to do that, and it turned out I was able to do it. Um, you know, the, the bit about putting the book together, again, this is what um, a lot of artists say, is you ask them, okay, why didn't you, can you do what you do? And in the end, we all just kind of shrug and go like, well, I don't know. I'm just lucky, I guess. I don't know. And, I mean, there's a lot of hard work, too. Um, but it's uh, it's something, and I I guess I, I cross the bridge between the left brain and the right brain. So I think that's, that's a it. common uh, a common characteristic of artists in general, wouldn't you say? Um, yeah, I mean, for some artists, then you get people more like Endre, who he's just an artist, artist, artist. I mean, he. Um, was soloing with the L.A. Philharmonic at the age of nine. Um, so child prodigy on the violin, and um, uh, then the photographs are just amazing. And you ask them, there's so, so, one of the things that's crazy is there's photographs in the book that are perfect with a quote, and he took the picture four years earlier. And they're weird pictures anyway like yeah. the one with the big eye in the rearview mirror. Um, you say, Andre, how did you, why did you think of doing that? Oh, well, I just, I don't know, I thought it would be great. <laughs> and here we go for a break. And here we go for a break. Will, you were talking about your journey from um, physicist to mystic. I'm wondering if you had any spiritual mentors along the way. Well, yes, I did. Um, my my first one was my first teacher was uh Rama um also known as Dr. Frederick Lenz he was uh he was an american uh, pretty much the same age as i was and i ran into him in my early 30s and he just started going into advanced stages of samadhi and became a teacher and um i was his student for about 12 years um and he was the reason I did the software company. It became a spiritual task for everyone to write a software product and sell it off and do that whole thing. Um, so he was a teacher for many years, and then, um, then I moved on, and then I ended up out in Washington studying with Ramtha, and I was in the Ramtha school for uh, many years, probably 10 years, and, you know, a lot of the what the bleep really came out of the things I was learning at the school there. Um, 
and his take on things was much different than Rama's, and um, that was that was quite amazing, and it was a whole different thing. And like I said, so much of the teaching and Ramp is in uh, the What the Bleep movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that, and then um, then when Bleep was done, I felt my time there was done, and then I started going to. Uh, some retreats and seminars with Deirdre and, um, you know, learned a lot of stuff there that was different than the other two. Um, and uh, But then things moved off into another dimension with Deirdre and I, and as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> Would you say there's been kind of a logical evolution of your spiritual thinking? Logical evolution. I, I know that sounds a bit like um, uh, a contradiction, but as as I get the books that come through for review, I'm seeing it's it's like uh, Barbara Hubbard's um, spiral uh, of conscious evolution. Um, we keep on go- coming around in circles, but at a higher level, um, a higher level of refinement, a higher level of openness. I think to the possibilities of uh, universal connection, universal mind, of, of uh, unlimited possibility. Um, where, where do you think your, your particular insights are going? Well, I'm not quite sure where they're going. Um, to, to answer your question about is there a, a logical evolution, what it feels to me is like... Um, each path I chose just filled in other parts that the other one didn't. So mm-hmm. um, the first one was dealing with Rama. We learned certain things, but there was other things that I felt lacking. Um, when I was out with Ramta, um, there was things that got filled in and other awarenesses that were completely new that wasn't there. Um, and then uh, being with Deirdre, um, she has a different take on things. Um, it's the same, but you know the focus is different, and I've learned a whole um, a whole different uh, thing on that. I mean, just to give an example, so I'm not talking theoretically. You know, with Deirdre, Deirdre being a woman is much more about relationship. She's much more about relationship with people, relationship with nature, relationship with the planet. Relation. She's that's just a focus that you see a lot. Um, whereas in the early days, like with Rama, he was kind of more the Buddhist type thing, where relationship was, yeah, you know, was kind of this unseen thing, like, well, that'll just slow you down, so just go in a cave and meditate and it'll all work out. Um, that's an overstatement, but I'm exaggerating a little. So, you know, I see that the, all these things, they just were just such vast creatures, are each one of us, and each one path was filling in um, something different. Do you think this book will appeal to any particular age group? Well, my hope is that it will appeal to many, many age groups. Someone looked at that the book and they said, oh, it's a children's book for adults and an adult book for children. <laughs> and that's pretty much, I think, a kind of thing. I mean, one of my hopes um, is that six 
six-year-old kids are going to see it sitting on the coffee table, and they're going to go up, they'll open it, and they'll just like, they'll just be mesmerized by the the photograph. And mommy, mommy, what's this say? I'm learning to read. What's this say? And read it. And some there's the thing. There's that one story about the little princess. Um, in the yes. book, which is a little fable, it's a two-page fable, and that's the perfect thing to read to some kid as they're going to bed. I mean, um, so my hope is that really it goes across uh, ages, and everyone, you know, a book for everyone. Talking about that little fable, Will, I can just see you making an animated short out of that. Well, a lot of people say, well, I can see a movie coming out of this. And, uh-huh. you know, it, in a weird way, I wouldn't say it's Bleep 2, but it's Bleep 1.5. I mean, it's, it's very, it goes off in a different direction, but it's kind of, I don't know, it may be, it may be a pathway that dealing with the mystical um, in a more direct way that uh, it may end up being yet another movie. We don't, we don't know. I never thought six months ago, we'd be having this conversation about the book, so who knows what's in store. Well, if you don't, I certainly don't, but uh, <laughs> I will wait with great interest to see what comes next. <laughs> so um, was was there a, a particular surprise for you in the book, since we call this book the Book of Surprises? Um... The big surprise was kind of when it was all done, I said, oh, my God, this is a book of prophecy. There's a lot of prophecy in the book, and it's not, it's not prophecy like... Um, uh, you know, in two years from now, the third dimension will become the fourth dimension and blah, 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 um, although there's a bit of that. But it, there's kind of a tone through it um, that keeps repeating about sort of where we're going and where we're headed. And really, that's prophecy. And it's not, it, it isn't so much like, well, uh, let me just say it was unexpected prophecy, which is always a surprise. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly with the motif of the honey jars, um, if this book is indeed um, prophecy, I think we can all look forward to a very positive time ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to what we were saying earlier, uh, it really depends on what our attitude towards life is. If, if we act as if uh, life will be positive, is positive now, and, and we do all that we can to, to embody that, it will be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, here we go. <laughs> oh, something um, I, I want to mention, my publisher's been mm-hmm. bugging me to always mention this on the on interviews is that we the the book it's a nine by eleven <clears throat> we went to a very high end printer to because the photographs were so gorgeous we said well we have to do it so it's a high end printer and we're almost giving the book away it's uh, the the price is eighteen ninety five 
which is basically what you'd more or less pay for a print paperback. Um, and we're doing that, and I just want to tell people, we're doing that because we want, we want the book to get in a lot of hands because there's a magic to it. And um, 1895 is three trips to uh, Starbucks. So, um, and this will last longer than three cups of coffee. So um, that's kind of what we're doing. So, I, I mean, I, because people have told us, you know, we talk about this, and everyone talks about beautiful poetry, blah, blah, blah. They think, oh, it's this big coffee table book. It's going to be, you know, an investment of a lifetime to, to buy a copy or two. Um, but I just want to say that, that we've, we really want to get it out into as many hands of as many ages as we can. And that was, that was the best way to do it. So I just wanted to mention that. Well, if we're talking about coffee table books, the, the photographs alone make it worthy of a place on anyone's coffee table. And the poetry alone, ditto. So the combination is an absolutely winning um, uh, collaboration, and I can't recommend this highly enough for absolutely everybody on your Christmas list. It is a gorgeous book, uh, very hefty, very solid, beautifully put together, and kudos, Will, to you and Deirdre and and uh, um, oh, Andre, uh, Andre, right, Andre. What, what 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 is his nationality? Where does uh, that Hungarian. Come from Hungarian. Ah. Andre Balog. Yeah, Hungarian. Hungarian is a fascinating language. Not, I think it's related to Sanskrit. Anyway. I think, yeah, there's something, though, a little odder about it. And it's kind of related, but it kind of... It kind of isn't. It's it's one of those things I I seem to remember. It just sort of it's like, well, where does this come from? And basically, <laughs> when plug it, into the universe. <laughs> yeah, and so basically, whenever it's where does this come from, it's like, oh, star beings. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, there you have it. The end of the show. Will, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. And do join us next week. Um, and in the meantime, have a wonderful, positive, blessed day, week, and be kind to yourself. Goodbye. <laughs>